Welcome back to the wrestling room. It has been a little while and uh, our family has battled through some sickness like many of your families have been dealing with. Yes, we've, we have walked through the valley of COVID-19 and we've come out the other side. And by God's grace, we're healthy and strong again and ready to jump back into the battle. So I, have a, I wanna share with you today, I have a word that I believe the Lord has given me again in the book of Acts. We're making our way through chapter one and the Lord has stopped me in verse 15, and I want to share some thoughts today from Acts chapter 1, verse 15. They're, they're fairly personal, um, and I believe the Lord stopped me in verse 15 because of my own background, my own history, but I want to share these with you. My heart for you as I teach, and I stand in this little office by myself in front of my own cell phone recording myself. It's odd to be very honest with you. Um, I, I just laugh and think, what in the world am I doing? But but uh, my heart is for you. My heart is that you do well. My heart is that you walk strong. We're living in a difficult time. We've never lived in any time like this in all of our history anyway. And I believe we're moving towards the end times when Jesus is going to come back. But the water is rough, the clouds are dark, and there are a lot of things going on. And there are a lot of people who are struggling with their faith. And so my prayer is that this message will encourage you. It's the, the fifth step. I've, I've been sharing six vital steps to preparing yourself for battle. And I would even go on to say to prepare you yourself to weather this storm that we are in and that's only going to get more intense. And in the last several messages, I gave four of those steps. Today, number five. And I want to share that with you. I'm not going to re-preach the other four. You go back and listen to those. But I'll start by just sharing this, uh, this quote by Mario Andretti. Mario Andretti, one of the great race car drivers, was asked for his best tip to becoming a world-class race car champion. And he said simply this, don't look at the wall. Don't look at the wall. Interesting. And then he went on to say, your direction will follow what your eyes focus on. So if you look at the wall, you'll crash into the wall. And it's very true. What we focus on becomes an influ more and more influential in our lives. Where our focus goes, the energy flows. And that is, that is absolutely true of virtually any aspect of life. And so I want to talk about three people that we can learn from, but we must not focus on. We must not fix our eyes upon. We learn from their lives, but we don't fixate upon them. Because if we do, the chance of us losing our faith or at least compromising our faith is very, very high. And so the major theme and the, the fifth step to preparing for battle is simply this. Concentrate your focus on Jesus. And I know it sounds super basic, but guys, in the days that we are living in, this fifth step preparing for battle is absolutely essential. So stick with me as I share some thoughts from Scripture. F concentrate your focus on Jesus. And I would say Jesus only. Jesus only. A friend of mine, George Verwer, who founded Operation Mobilization over 60 years ago, just wrote a book called Messiology. Now, the, the, the 
technical name for the study of world missions is missiology, but he wrote a book after working with hundreds of thousands of people entitled Messiology. And the basic theme is, if you're going to be involved with people, it's going to be messy. It's going to be very messy. Sinners sin. And one thing I love about the scripture is that it doesn't put lipstick on the pig. It certainly describes human beings as magnificent, created in the image of God, and, and magnificent creations, even just a little lower than the angels. But it also portrays our dark underbelly. It shows us in all of our gory ugliness. And I appreciate that. I need honesty. I need somebody to tell it to me straight. And so he wrote this book called Messiology. And I want to tell you, if you focus on the mess of people, even good people, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to be compromising your faith. If you focus on people, you're going to crash into the wall. And you're going to wreck your car, wreck your faith. So... I want to look at just one phrase in Acts 1 verse 15. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. The disciples are obeying Jesus. They're waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on them. And they will soon be involved in planting this brand new church. And all heaven will break loose and all hell will break loose as well. And meanwhile, they're waiting. And in the midst of the waiting, 1 verse 15 Here's what happens. It says, at this time, while they're waiting, Peter stood up in the midst of the brothers, a gathering of about 120 persons who were there together. So Peter stands up. Peter stands up. <laughs> and you have 240 eyeballs looking at Peter. Now, you know this story. This is one of the messier stories in all of Scripture. Because the last two months of Peter's life have been a shipwreck, have been a disaster. He was one of the most vocal, fervent followers of Jesus, but he crashed and burned badly right at the end when Jesus needed him most. You could summarize Peter's last several months with basically four phrases. He boasted loudly, he acted foolishly, he failed epically, and he wept bitterly. That's Peter's, the summary of Peter's life. Friends, I identify with Peter. Those of you who know my story know that at the very peak of ministry, I failed badly as well. And so I want to just share, there are, there are some very simple and harsh realities about life, and that is this. People will fail us. Good people will fail us. People that we're looking to, to mentor us and to be examples for us, they will fail us badly. One of the deepest sorrows of my own life is knowing there are still people out there who, instead of looking to Jesus and concentrating their focus on Jesus, were looking to me. And when I blew it, they also quit the faith. Now, I didn't quit the faith, but I struggled mightily for years. And right now, even, I'm struggling with uh, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer, who's just failed epically as well. And it's all on videotape all over the world. Uh, this head coach who I admired so deeply, uh, Florida, National Championship with Florida, National Championship with Ohio State, and now his character has been exposed to the world, and I love this guy. I loved his book on leadership. So people will fail you. People not only fail you, people will abandon you, and that is seen, seen very graphically in the book of 2 Timothy, when Paul, who's at the end of his ministry, he's poured his life into people. He has been God's 
epic ambassador to plant churches all over uh, the, the Middle East now in Asia. And he's speaking to this young pastor, Timothy, and giving Timothy a wake-up call. Essentially, you want to follow God, you want to involve your life with people, it's going to be tough. You're going to suffer. And he goes on to say to Timothy, you're aware that everyone in Asia turned away from me. These are people that he poured his life into. In 4 verse 10 of 2 Timothy, he says, Demas, my right-hand guy, the guy who I trusted to have my back, he's deserted me, having loved this present world. Demas essentially said to Paul, Paul, I don't like this life of self-denial and looking for a new kingdom. The world has a lot to offer, and Demas fell for the fool's gold of this world, the glitter. And he abandoned Paul, totally deserted him. And then in 4 verse 16, Paul is going before the Supreme Court of the planet in Rome. And he says, at my first defense, no one showed up to support me, but all deserted me. So this is Paul. He's poured blood, sweat, and tears. He's at the end of his life. And his report to Timothy, this young pastor, his buddy, it's going to be tough. People are going to jump ship. People that you've poured your life in, they're not just going to fail you and abandon you. They're going to betray you as well. And of course, we know the life of Jesus is a classic example of this. So guys, people are going to fail us. People are flesh. Working with people is messy. So what are we going to do? And what do we do when people of faith, people that we look to, people we've trusted in, they fail and they, they betray us, abandon us, fail us? What do we do? It's painful. Well, I, wanted, I want to direct you to a phrase that has stood out to me. It is such a powerful phrase in 2 Peter or 2 Timothy. Again, Paul talking to this young pastor. He's just told him, he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Boy, that doesn't sound good. And he says, Timothy, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Obviously, Timothy was shirking back from his responsibilities as a, as a pastor and a leader. So Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, to a young pastor who is wondering, what did I get myself into? And maybe as a believer, you've, you're asking yourself, what have I gotten myself into following Jesus? Seems like the people I look to, they're blowing it, they're failing, they're falling. What did I, got, what did I get myself into? Well, Paul has an exhortation as strong encouragement for you. And I want to walk through it briefly. He says to Timothy, you therefore, my beloved son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. I love this phrase. It just brings life to me. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. I want to break this down, but I want to ask the question first, what is grace? Grace is one of those kind of nebulous words that can mean a lot of things. And to most of us, it probably means, you know, be nice, be kind, be more gracious. And if you're highlighting it in your Bible, you'd highlight it in pink. But I want to give you a, an acrostic for grace. God's resources at Christ's expense. God's resources at Christ's expense. So it involves much more than just being kind, being nice, being gracious, being patient. And Paul says to Timothy, one of those resources 
that flows out of the vault of grace is strength, is strength. Now, let me, let me, let me backtrack for a second. When Jesus went to the cross, there were multiple things that happened on the cross when he bled his precious blood. Number one, he paid the penalty for our sins. That's what we call mercy. We didn't get what we deserved. Jesus got it. But not only did he pay the penalty for our sins, taking care of our eternal damnation, our ticket, if you will, out of separation from God forever, but the vertical nature of Jesus' death, it also opened the vault of heaven, God's resources purchased by Jesus at Christ's expense. He opened the vault of heaven, and that vault has a big word written across it, grace, <laughs> grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Jesus took the penalty of sin for us, but then he opened up all of the resources of heaven, the infinite resources of heaven. And let me give you four of those. Number one, the first is strength. Grace imparts to us supernatural strength. Paul says to Timothy, be strong. That could literally be that literally is that literally means be strengthened with grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace strengthens us. That word strengthen literally means be filled with inner dynamite. Inner dynamite. Paul said to the Ephesians, he said this, I pray for you to be strengthened with power, that's the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite, be strengthened with spiritual dynamite through his spirit in your inner man, in your inner man. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy, be strong, be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So from this heavenly vault, the resources of heaven that we call grace flows strength, inner dynamite. And friends, when you see people walking through a dark valley and they're not whimpering and you see and you wonder, how can you be making it during this deep, dark time of your life? I want to tell you what that is. That is supernatural grace from the vault of heaven, from Jesus himself, the gracious one. So one of the resources from the vault of amazing grace is particularly to the situation when people fail you is supernatural grace. And Paul is talking to Timothy, listen, these folks are going to turn on you. You're going to confront them and they're not going to listen. They're going to tell you you're too young to be leading and you name the excuses. You name your own situation. Paul says, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, a second resource from that vault of grace is sustenance. Grace sustains us. It doesn't just strengthen us, but it sustains us. It's not just what we receive when we blow it, but it's what we receive when other people sin against us. There is an amazing moment that comes in your life, and I want to take you over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Paul talks about one of the times that he was literally abandoned by all those he'd poured into, 2 Timothy 4 verse 16, he says, at my first defense, no one supported me, 
all deserted me, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And he goes on to say, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth and the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. God's grace sustains us. Here you have Paul standing all by himself with the most powerful legislators on the planet standing in front of him, literally like Daniel in the lion's den. And God, as it were, shuts the lion's mouth. Friends, I want to tell you something. There's not a more powerful moment in your life when you realize that you can be abandoned by everybody. You can be deserted. You can be betrayed. And yet, Jesus will stand with you in the midst of that moment and that you're perfectly okay. You're perfectly okay. And you realize that if you have Jesus, you're just, you're just fine. You're going to be just fine. That is a moment that will change your life. Grace sustains us when we are literally surrounded by lions. When our strength seems to have run out, he strengthens us and then he stands with us and sustains us. He comes underneath of us and lifts us up. Listen to what Peter says, or excuse me, what David says. In Psalm 27 verses 10 and 14, he says, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will take me up. Another version says the Lord will hold me close. Then he goes on to say, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, listen. That vault of heaven, that those resources of heaven, it's a channel, a lifeline of strength. It's a lifeline of sustenance. Even if mom and dad bail on me, the most precious people in my life drop me. The Lord will stand with me. He will bear me up. He will take me up. He will sustain me. Psalm 55, 22 says this, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That is a promise you can take to the bank from the vault of heaven. Sustaining grace, strengthening grace. But there's a third, a third resource that comes from that vault. It's stabilizing grace. Grace stabilizes us. Go back to 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. At my first defense, Paul says, no one supported me. Everyone deserted me. And then he says this, may it not be counted against them. May it not be counted against them. Listen, it is, you will find out a lot about a person when they have been offended or hurt by somebody else. When you stick the teabag of their life into the hot water of betrayal or abandonment or the failure of somebody else, you'll find out what they're all about. You'll find out what's inside of them. And when Paul was stuck in that hot water, standing there in front of these magistrates and these, these legislators, the, the most powerful men in the world, Jesus stood with him and sustained him. Jesus strengthened him. 
but Jesus stabilized him. His emotions weren't all over the map. To stabilize literally means to make firm, to hold steady, and to limit fluctuation. Paul could have been calling for judgment, for chastisement, for vindication for the people who didn't show up for him, that weren't there for him. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry. But grace stabilizes us. It allows us to handle suffering, to handle betrayal, abandonment, failure of another with dignity. With dignity. It stabilizes us. There's a story that I just heard recently that is so powerful. A friend of mine, a doctor in in Dallas, Texas, told me in his early years of, of uh, schooling, he was affiliated with one of the top doctors in the hospital where he was training. This man was a Jewish man. He was brilliant and, and at the top of his, his, uh, his world, if you will, and, but very far from being a believer. Very far from being a believer. Eight years later, my, my friend Dan came back into contact with this renowned doctor. And to his, uh, to his amazement, this man was now a devoted follower of Jesus. And he asked him, what happened? And this man went on to say, over the course of my career, I have watched Christians suffer and they suffer differently than those who are not. And his observation of the stabilizing grace of God in the life of a suffering believer moving towards the end of their life, looking death in the face, was so moving. He got a picture of this great Jesus that we serve and committed his whole heart to him. Brothers and sisters, people have told me, why, have asked me the question, why, don't, why doesn't God just heal everyone? It would bring him glory to show his miraculous healing power. One of my professors in Bible college begged that question. He said this, I believe it's a greater miracle when people who are walking through suffering appropriate that resource of God's grace, God's strengthening grace, his sustaining grace and his stabilizing grace, and they walk through the valley of the shadow of death without whimpering, without getting bitter and cynical and angry. They stay soft and joy-filled and their faith doesn't waver. That, friends, is arguably a greater miracle than God healing that person. God sustaining grace out of the vault of heaven. God's resources at Christ's expense. Jesus paid his precious blood for you to have this kind of strengthening, sustaining, and stabilizing grace. It is yours. But fourthly, it is God's supplying grace. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I have found that even strong believers have difficulty forgiving someone who has sinned against, sinned against them. It is a brutally difficult thing to do. That's why Peter was so 
Uh, he thought he was going so above and beyond when he said, Lord, should we forgive seven times? And then was probably about lost his, uh, lost his, his lunch when Jesus said 70 times seven. Well, that's unheard of. What do you, what do you, how, how can that possibly be? Forgiveness is so difficult. But brothers and sisters, from this vault, from the resources of heaven, God will give you the strength, the stability, the sustaining grace to forgive. He will supply you with the ability to forgive. Forgiveness is a supernatural act of obedience. You may not always feel like forgiving. And many times, brothers and sisters, we obey first and the emotion comes afterwards, but it's from the vault of grace, strengthening grace, stabilizing grace, sustaining grace, that we also get a supply of grace to forgive supernaturally. And when somebody has failed you, someone has abandoned you, someone has even betrayed you, there, is, there are resources. You don't have to live in bitterness and cynicism. Your faith doesn't have to crash into the wall. You don't have to live your life focusing on the person who has sinned against you. We focus on the Lord Jesus. We focus on his grace. We are strengthened with grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we walk in victory and we walk in freedom. So the first person you learn from, but you don't focus on, you don't concentrate your gaze upon, is even another believer. We can learn from them again. We can be even be mentored by them. There are so many wonderful people in my own life who I have looked to for teaching and mentorship, but brothers and sisters, we concentrate our focus all, only on the Lord Jesus. He's the only one that occupies that throne on our lives. He is the only one who will never be knocked off. He's the only one who will never fail, never abandon, never betray. Only Jesus. So I want to conclude with this very encouraging last thought, and that is this. When Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, first of all, I want you to hear that for you, right where you are at right now. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. When Paul said this to Timothy, that phrase, be strong, is in the Greek present tense. What does that mean? That means this. That strength is not a one-time gift. It's not even a couple tokens that you better hold on to and use only in your most dire, dark moments. That present tense means that this is an ongoing ever-flowing, never-ending flow from the vault of grace in heaven. There is a river of strength. There is a cascading waterfall of strength, of grace, God's resources that Jesus has purchased with his blood for you right now in this, this particular moment. But when you're in this moment, that flow is still available. And when you're in this moment, that flow is still available to you. Whatever your present is, the river is flowing. The river is flowing. That resource never dries up. It's always available. Now, what does this mean? It means that our life is not just sucking it up. It's not just trying to do the best we can. It's not just being a good Christian. It's not even trying to ask the question, what would Jesus do? 
How can we be like Jesus? It's not that. It is the life of Jesus flowing into us and then out through us. Into us. His strength. His sustenance. His stability. His endless supply flowing in and out. He said in John chapter 6, out of your innermost being will gush rivers of living water. Your life as a believer, brothers and sisters, is a flow from the resources of heaven to you and then through you. It's a supernatural life with Jesus on the throne, our eyes focused and fixed on him and on nobody else. That is the Christian life and that is what God wants for you. And so if you do that, you will never fail. You will never fall, not permanently. You will not find your car in the ditch, battered up against the wall. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Concentrate on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him front and center in your life. Father, I pray this for those listening, that this week they will determine, they will make a commitment. Jesus, you will be number one. I will focus on you. I will concentrate my eyes on you. And Lord, may they be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone. I pray this for my dear friends. In the name of the Lord Jesus, your strong name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week. May this have challenged you and encouraged you today. We'll see you next week. There's more. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.